Welcome to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast from the editors of Rider Magazine and RiderMagazine.com, bringing you motorcycling at its best in our magazine and on the web for 46 years, and now in our regular podcast. This is Mark Tuttle, editor of Rider Magazine. Today I'm going to share a bit of news from the world of motorcycling, after which we will have a interesting conversation with our longtime contributor, Clement Salvadori. A, the traveling motorcyclist and uh, moto journalist who has been contributing to Rider Magazine, um, I think since I was about nine years old, or well, make that uh, 1988, October to be exact. We'll uh, be speaking with Clement in a little bit. In the meantime, uh, wondering if any of our listeners have seen the new Triumph James Bond Scrambler Edition. To celebrate its uh, partnership with the production company behind the forthcoming uh, installment of uh, James Bond, uh, No Time to Die, which interestingly uh, has been, the release of which has been postponed until November of this year, 2020, uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, my understanding, at least from Wikipedia, is that that was actually requested by a couple of uh, large James Bond fan sites to uh, help ensure the movie's success. The production company used two Triumphs in the film, and so uh, to uh, celebrate that, Triumph has built a Scrambler 1200 XE Special Edition, James Bond 007 Edition, and uh, will be building just 250 of them worldwide, with only 30 marked for the United States. Our reviews of the Scrambler 1200 have been pretty positive, and this is a pretty cool-looking bike. It's all blacked out, of course. Bond, James Bond, and um, has a real leather seat with an embossed logo, a unique startup screen on the TFT display, uh, an aero silencer with carbon fiber, carbon fiber end caps, and uh, of course it has a numbered plaque, being a limited edition model. So, if you want one, you better hurry up. Thirty is not a lot. Retail price is eighteen thousand five hundred dollars, and otherwise it's a top spec Scrambler XE model, with ride modes and IMU-based cornering ABS and traction control an assist clutch, keyless ignition, heated grips, cruise control, and most importantly, Olin suspension with almost 10 inches of travel at both ends. So, uh, uh, very fun on-off-road machine. In other news, owners of 2018 and newer Honda Goldwing models will be happy to hear that uh, Android Auto is going to be available to incorporate into the bike software package um, sometime very soon here. Um, if, if you recall, uh, when the Goldwing was originally re- released, uh, it did come with CarPlay, which works with your iPhone, uh, but uh, a lot of people lamented the fact that it would didn't it did not include Android Auto um, for, for those folks that do not use an iPhone, but uh, another type of phone with the Android operating system. The Goldwing was the first motorcycle 
to come with Apple CarPlay. And we have used it extensively and, and found it really handy. Um, you need to have a Bluetooth headset in your helmet for it to work, and you have to plug the phone into the bike via USB cable. But once you do, uh, you can do a lot of things hands-free by asking Siri for directions or uh, uh, the name of a local restaurant or gas stations nearby, that sort of thing. And the, the, the reason that we have that is because the standard Honda operating system on the Goldwing won't let you do any of that stuff when you're moving. But you can, uh, you can be going down the road and use Apple CarPlay, and uh, it really brings a lot to the, the riding experience. And now Honda has uh, included CarPlay on the new Africa Twin models as well, and I imagine it'll only be a, a matter of time before Android Auto is integrated there as well. So rejoice, Android users. Vintage bike fans will be interested to learn that Kawasaki is planning to reproduce cylinder heads for certain models and model years of its uh, legendary Z1 Superbike and the Z900 and KZ1000 from the, uh, from the 70s, 1970s. Even though the uh, original 73 Z1 is coming up on its 50th anniversary, there's still a lot of examples of that bike around. Uh, as well as the 900 and 1000. And um, since a lot of them were ridden pretty hard, uh, both on the street and at the drag strip and what have you, uh, I imagine there are quite a few in need of uh, a functioning cylinder head out there. Kawasaki will, is going to build these things uh, using current methods, but based on the original design for the Z1 cylinder head and specifications, they won't have any cams or springs or parts in them or anything like that. It's just the head itself. And uh, uh, buying one will set you back a cool 2370 bucks. but you do get your choice of silver and black. It looks like Kawasaki is going to be producing these Z1 cylinder heads well into the future, but if you want to get one quickly, uh, you need to make sure and get a pre-order in by June 30th, 2020. And then your cylinder head will be waiting for you at the dealer sometime in the fall um, of 2020. You can find more information about this under the vehicle accessories section of Kawasaki's website at kawasaki.com or, of course, by visiting the ridermagazine.com website. All right, this is Mark Tuttle, editor of Rider Magazine for the Rider Magazine Insider podcast. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Clement Salvadori, our longtime contributor. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging with us today. This is Mark Tuttle with the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, and we're speaking with Clement Salvadori author of numerous books, including 101 Road Tales, a compilation of his best monthly columns for more than three decades of contributing to Rider Magazine. Clem has also published the book No Through Road, a collection of 29 stories from his round-the-world motorcycle adventures, all of which are pretty fascinating. I've read both books and enjoyed them very much. Uh, now, normally, 
I think Clem and I would probably be uh, doing this interview in person, uh, perhaps even sharing a nice bottle of red. But under the circumstances, we're, uh, I'm down in our office in Camarillo and Clem's up at his, uh, his home on the central coast in California. Good morning, Clem. 175 miles away. Yes, yeah. Yeah, short, short two-hour ride, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so how are things, how's life on the central coast? It's absolutely delightful. I mean, this is, we have a county, San Luis Obispo County has got about uh, 300,000 people, and it's got one main road, and the rest of them are just roads running through vineyards and ranches, and there's no traffic on them. Fantastic. So I go out every day. Every day. And the COVID-19 cannot go as fast as my motorcycle. <laughs> did you, did you, did it give you pause at all? Have you been riding constantly? Oh, yeah. No, no. This is, a, you know, around here, uh, there's no, no problem. The only, you know, stopping for gas and uh, most gas stations have been, you know, relatively empty. And I wear gloves when I'm handling all those things. I see. I see. It'll maybe wash up when you get home, huh? Yeah. Yeah, good. So, Clem, I, I think uh, your first column or your first contribution for Rider Magazine was your advocating adventure column in October of 1988. So that means that we've known each other for more than three decades. <laughs> Is that I a scary like, thought? I don't like to consider that. That, that means I'm old. <laughs> well, one of us is anyway. So, um, tell us how you how did you get started in in becoming the traveling motorcyclist? Uh, oh, good heavens! Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, this is when uh, when I was fifteen. A friend of mine, a neighbor, uh, bought a uh, Harley one twenty five, which barely ran, and we had we didn't have licenses, but we had woods behind our houses. And, uh, you know, we cheerfully rode this 125 and crashed it regularly. Uh, and then next year, I went to uh, my father's professor, and he got a sabbatical in Rome. And so I ended up in Rome, uh, and I had spent that summer earning money And here at age 16, and I bought my first motorcycle. And then my friend Dick, uh, my neighbor, uh, he sent me a letter, which is how you communicated back then, and said, "Buy me. I'll send you the money. Buy me a motorcycle, and we'll go around Europe this summer." Now, this is you know two high school kids between junior and senior uh, grades, right? And the fact that our parents were all in favor of this indicates either our parents didn't like us or they trusted us. <laughs> and uh, so Dick showed up. I bought him an all a BMW 250. I had an NSU 250. And we just spent the next uh, two months traveling around Europe in 1957, and then uh, got to England, put the bikes on a what they called a student ship. These were uh, boats which specialized in, in transporting college students around uh, on the cheap. And we sailed back to New York, unloaded the bikes, and uh, that was the beginning of the end. Wow. Wow, that sounds like a great trip. Any... Uh... Any memories from it stand out in your mind? Oh, lots, you know, dozens of them. I wrote a little bit about it, and then I sent that to Dick, and he said, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have different memories, but no, it's just, just the, the absolute pleasure 
uh, Dick and I had very different riding styles, and we still ride together when we get together. And after the first day on the road together, we realized that I was a good deal faster than he was. And so in the morning, uh, over coffee or whatever we were drinking, uh, we'd decide where we are going to meet that night. Uh, and I'd go off, and uh, then he'd show up later. I see. And, uh, but it was a great trip, and we both enjoyed it immensely. Now, you've owned a, a series of motorcycles since then, is, uh, excluding any contemporary bikes in the stable, which we'll talk about in a minute. Is there, is there one that you uh, miss the most? Uh, well, I would say my first Bonneville, which I bought in 1960, uh, I've got a new Bonneville, uh, but you know it's just the the image of uh, you know riding those uh, those fifties and sixties motorcycles, which uh, you know a friend showed up the other day on a Norton Commando, and we were going to go on a two hundred mile uh, loop around here, and and the other another friend with us said, "How do you trust that?" <laughs> and uh, my friend and I both said, "Look." You know, 40 years ago, taking a 200-mile trip or one day would be nothing. It's just that we've gotten used to how much more developed the machinery is, and we think that this old stuff can't make it. Well, it can. You bet it can, especially if it's reasonably well-maintained. Oh, yeah. This is, no, it's the maintenance which is uh, essential. And when I bought the Bonneville, uh, I got I went to the factory in England to pick it up, and uh, they just said, you know, check the nuts and bolts every day. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And uh, let's see, I did I I did have a couple. Oh yes, my lights went out at one point, and then I burned a hole in a piston chasing Ferraris. Uh, but but, uh, but uh, both of those got got fixed. I gotcha. All right. Now you went. Uh... As I recall, you went around the world in the 1970s, right? What what bike did you use for that trip? Uh, well, uh, this is I was working at the. Uh, that, this is in my, my my formal days when I was working at the State Department, and I was working at the embassy in uh, in Rome. And uh, I had I just I put in about five years, and I just gotten tenure. In other words, you know, they couldn't fire me unless I did something really really nasty. And uh, my old boss, uh, Graham Martin, uh, he was just the, the, the Nick's president. Nixon had just asked him to be Viet, uh, the ambassador to Vietnam. And having just come from there, I said, Ambassador Martin, don't take the job. You've got a great reputation. If you take the job, you will be ruined. Well, he took the job and got ruined. But uh, <laughs> then we got a really... A uh, really objectionable uh, ambassador, a guy named Volpe, and that I just said, uh, this is. And that, then I got orders, you know, report back to Washington, and I just said, forget it. So instead of reporting back to Washington, I just got on my motorcycle and headed east uh, with you know, with not much thought. Just uh, you know, you got the bike, I got a bag on the back, I got a tent and a sleeping bag, and let's see how far we can get. And uh, that was the beginning of basically uh, an 18,000-mile trip. Did you take any breaks to come home along the way? No. This is uh, basically uh, I went, uh, went, over, went east to Nepal. Then I took a 
ship down to Kenya. Then I rode from Kenya to South Africa, another ship from South Africa to Australia, around Australia, then over to New Zealand, and then a ship uh, back to uh, Panama. And this was, uh, you know, all this is, took the place the better part of two years. Then I got back to Panama, and uh, I called my parents, who I'd not spoken with for <laughs> better part of two years, and they said, "Well, we'll we'll send we'll send you a, an airplane ticket. Come home for Christmas." And so, in that trip around the world, I went home once and spent a very happy month with them, and then went back to to uh, oh, Costa Rica, really, and continued. So, Clem, uh, what bike did you take on this round the world trip? Oh, I got a BMW R seventy five five, a nineteen seventy two model. Uh, here's, here's a slightly funny story. When I was, I'd come from, uh, when I was working in Vietnam, I managed to con a Vespa scooter, uh, you know, out of the motor, motor pool and use that around. And when I returned it, uh, the, to the motor pool, the Vietnamese running the motor pool said, oh, yeah, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Italy. Oh, this is where they make Vespas. Will you get another Vespa? And he says, no, no, I'm going to get a real motorcycle. So I got to Italy, and uh, as a diplomat, they, uh, the manufacturers often gave diplomatic discounts. And I, the Moto Guzzi had just come out with their V7 Sport. And so I called Moto Guzzi and said, uh, do you have a, v, uh, a diplomatic discount? What's that? And I explained. He says, no, we don't. And then I called BMW, and do you have a diplomatic discount? Yes, a third off. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, I bought the BMW. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, rightly so. All right. Now and I'm very glad I didn't try to go around the world on the V7 Sport. Yes. Yeah, I can't blame you there. So after all of these bikes that you've ridden so many miles uh, over the years, and and all of the touring stories that you've contributed to Rider and other magazines, and what what would you consider to be your most memorable ride? Do you have one? Uh well, as long as they worked, I was happy. Uh, I did, you know, I did things, you know, at one point I said I, I had to have a uh, British big single, so I bought a Vela set and rode it cross country <laughs> and uh, uh, realized that, no, this is not a good bike for the United States. <laughs> and, the, and the open roads here, yeah. How many times yeah. have you crossed the country now? I have no, I know, two dozen at least. A couple dozen. Before. Yeah. Yeah. We did it quite a bit in the old Rider Rally days, too. We were riding. Oh, I loved it. I mean, this is when Rider was running its rallies. So, you know, I just had a superb time. Yeah, yeah, they were great. We're hoping to do them again someday, maybe uh, once this uh, this little pandemic uh, uh, is over with. Um, uh -huh. So, so what, is, uh, what bikes are in the stable now? Oh, let's see. I just sold my DR650. Uh, Suzuki. And... Yeah, Suzuki, and I've got my DL650, the Wiestrom, and my Honda ST1100 with 97,000 on it. Oh, my goodness. And a Triumph Bonneville with uh, 20,000, no, 30, it's got over 30,000 30, now. And then there's my wife's Ninja 500. Ah, fantastic. Well, that's enough to maintain and insure. Uh, yeah. Maintain, main, maintenance is mostly done by a local mechanic. 
uh, and he's very good. He's he's just independent, and uh, he knows his stuff. And so, rather, you know, if I have to have a tire changed or valves adjusted, he does it. You know, I gave up on working on motorcycles when they went to shim-adjusted double overhead cams. Yep, can't blame you there. <laughs> so among all of your travels, is there one place that you uh, would like to go back to most? Oh, there, there's, a, there's a dozen places, and there's, you know, there's hundreds of places I haven't been. So rather than uh, going back to some place, yeah. uh, I, I would probably choose a brand new one. I gotcha. Yeah, good. Any anything come to mind? Uh, well, this I've been to Iceland, but not with a motorcycle. I'd like to do a little trip around Iceland. Ah, fantastic! And then uh, you know, I still there's you know there's in northwest Germany near Hamburg, there is a. Uh, bratwurst sausage museum <laughs> and they have 40 different types of bratwurst there and i've never been there and i've always wanted to go <laughs> yeah and probably never leave <laughs> yeah well I, you know they've got a kitchen da, 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 and it just sounds like my you know my holy of holies absolutely well now clem you have written in addition to a couple books on touring in california and baja uh, Mexico. Um, you have written 101 Road Tales, which is actually a compilation of uh, columns from Rider Magazine, 101 of right. them, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And um, and then also, uh, No Through Road is the, the most recent book. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Yeah, I read No Through Road and enjoy it very much. It's, there's, uh, as I recall, there are 29 uh, stories in there about your motorcycle trips with one exception that was done in a van is that right yeah the 30th story was done in a volkswagen van my sister uh was in uh uh living at a house in italy and her husband came back to the states to get another job and and they, they had just been working both of them in africa and he said please your sister wants to take her Volkswagen bus across the Sahara Desert. Will you go with her? <laughs> oh, gosh. And so, sure enough, uh, you know, I went with her, and it was, you know, it was an absolutely, you know, I threw that in the book because riding across the Sahara Desert and then getting the boat, uh, getting the, the Volkswagen on a barge and going up the Congo River was quite unforgettable. I bet. I bet. Now, you know, I don't usually like to talk about crashes and such, but um, if memory serves, you had a kind of an interesting story about a crash on your Bonneville? Uh, on my, yeah, on my, on my second Bonneville. The second one. What yeah. Ha what happened there? Oh, I was uh, stationed in Germany, and uh, I ordered up uh, a Bonneville from the factory. This was 19... 63, uh, and eventually a crate arrived uh, at the local railroad station. I went and put the bike together, and it was crated very nicely. About the only thing I had to do was put on handlebars in the front wheel. Uh, and then I rode it cheerfully around uh, Bavaria for a couple of months, and uh, then one, one night a Nazi tree jumped out in the middle of the road, and I crashed. Uh, and 
the the army decided that they'd had enough of me, so they threw me out. And uh, that was that was the serious crash of my life, and I won't knock on wood, let it happen again. Good for you. Yeah, I mean that was the one where they had to like knit your bones together or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, my right leg was broken into seventeen pieces. Oh God! <laughs> and wow. I like uh, I like the doctor and the and uh, the American Army Colonel doctor, who uh, there I was sort of lying on the operating table. This was July 3rd, uh, 1964. One remembers those dates. And he says, Salvadori, I'm going to save that leg of yours. You know, a regular civilian doctor would just cut it off, but if I save your leg, it's going to cost the Army less money. (laughs) (laughs) He put together my leg, and it's still working quite well. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, you put on a lot of miles since then. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Clem, tell us a little bit about uh, your touring habits on the road. I, I know that uh, you're a big fan of maps over electronics. Yeah, I have a, you know, I get a better feel for, uh, for the roads if you have decent maps. I mean, you can get a map of the United States, which won't help you too much. But, you know, I can out here in California, AAA uh, gives, gives great maps with very small roads on them. And I remember I was... Oh, staying in a motel up uh, north somewhere, Healdsburg, I think. And there was a guy on a motorcycle next door to me. And he was from Illinois or something. And he had come uh, west to visit a friend in um, Oregon and then was headed off to meet somebody else in the Sierra Nevadas. And he had no paper maps. All he had was GPS. And this was, good heavens, you know, 10, 10 years ago. And, you know, his idea of traveling was basically to follow the GPS roads with no sense of the little roads that, uh, that you know, he, that were available. So I gave him a couple of my maps. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I realized that GPS has gotten very sophisticated and, you know, put you on dirt roads, put you on, you know, super highways. Sure, sure. But still, you know, I'll take a map. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, we're getting uh, short on time and, and, you know, I think that our listeners would probably shoot me if I didn't ask you uh, about your signature beret. Ah, okay. Well, 100 years ago, actually <laughs> in the early 60s, uh, I joined the Army, and uh, I was going to go to officer candidate school. And, you know, there, were, there you are in sort of the advanced individual training, and we're all sitting there. And, this uh, weedy little second lieutenant comes out and tells you what pleasure it is to be an officer. Well, that didn't impress me. And then this Guamanian, uh, I think he was an E-7 sergeant, uh, he came out and he was about, you know, five and a half feet tall and five feet wide. And he had a green beret on. And he had fatigues on, you know, uh, proper combat fatigues. And he just looked out at us and said, well, okay, this is what Special Forces does, but I doubt if any of you can hack it. Well, that got me going, and I did uh, join Special Forces. They were going to try, they tried to make me a, uh, a communications expert, but uh, they gave up on that and made me a demolition specialist. And anyway, so I was in the Army wearing beret and very happy, and then I got out of the Army and tossed the beret, and 
uh, I was walking through the streets of Rome one winterish day and without a hat, and it began to, you know, just a little light rain, and I realized, oh, my God, the hair on my head is getting very thin. <laughs> and I was walking by a shop which sold Borsellino hats. So I walked in there and bought a Borsellino, and the nice thing about a Borsellino, it had a brim, and you could just roll it up. Uh, but I realized after, you know, about six months that it wasn't the most ideal, uh, you know, head cover for motorcyclists. And then I remember, oh, berets. And I went and got a beret. And now I have about 15 of them. Ah, and, you know, as well as keeping my head warm, they make great potholders. <laughs> You've always got one handy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. Well, Clem, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us here today on Rider Mag Insider. Let's call this part one. And we will... Okay. Uh, we will uh, be back to uh, talk again in the near future. Good, good, good. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks. I'm going to go for a ride. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Be sure to check out Clement Salvadori's website at clementsalvadori.com, where you can see his smiling face staring back at you and, uh, more importantly, uh, buy his books and uh, learn a little bit more about his background, which is posted on the homepage. Um, if you ask nicely, Clem will even uh, autograph the books before he sends them out to you. And um, you should buy directly from his site if possible. Cut out the middleman. This is Mark Tuttle, editor of Rider Magazine. Thanks for listening to the Rider Magazine Insider podcast, this time with our contributing editor, Clement Salvadori. Feel free to reach out to us through our ridermagazine.com website, on our like name social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or email us directly at rider at ridermagazine.com. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate your interest.